On the Healthy Human Revolution podcast, Dr. Lori Marbus interviews nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests whose informative and inspiring stories will empower you with the knowledge to transform your life and health. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and today I'm honored to have Simon Hill from Plant Proof. How are you today? Or this morning, I should say. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's uh, Monday morning here in Sydney. I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. I've really been looking forward to having this conversation with you. Well, thank you. I think it's it's uh, such a delight to always connect with people across different continents and um, just getting a different perspective and a different culture, even though you think would have a lot in similar. I was reading about in your book and I was even surprised at the Australians, their life expectancy is longer than in the United States. So the, I think there's some interesting things that are occurring there that maybe we should look into, <laughs> but getting to, you know, your story, can you tell us a little bit about your past? I know you have a kind of a, you walk through working with um, athletes and then that your brother kind of led you to, uh, and your dad had some input into your looking for healthier options. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So I am a qualified physiotherapist and nutritionist. I did a, a master's in nutrition And I guess today I spend most of my time helping educate people around what healthy food choices look like. And I made changes personally to my own diet around six, a little bit more than six years ago now. And you're right. It was my brother who, who sort of pointed me in the right direction and, and, and off I went down a rabbit hole, but, but really the, the initial seed for me that was planted and and very much gave me the inspiration to dive deep into the research was an experience that I had when I was 15 with my father. And we, we grew up as a family in Melbourne, which is in the sort of Southeast part of Australia. And we, we grew up sort of on the outskirts of Melbourne at the, 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 the sort of footsteps of of the hills in a a wine district called the Yarra Valley. And quite often we would spend Sundays driving through this wine district and we would pick different wineries and and go in and get to know the winemaker and learn about their craft. And it wasn't so much about the wine, like I was 15. Uh, It was more spending time with my dad and my brother and, and we'd often take our dog and we had an old MGB convertible and it was just fun. Mm -hmm. And on this one particular Sunday, I was with my dad. It was only us. My brother was off doing something else. And we had spent the afternoon at these, at a couple of different wineries and we were heading back home to, to have dinner and prepare dinner. And, and dad started to get some, some chest pain on that drive home. And I could see that he was slightly grimacing and he was just not comfortable. And so uh, we had a chat and I asked him if he was okay. And he said that he was getting some, some weird sort of pain in his chest area, but he thought it was okay. And we proceeded to drive home and we cooked dinner and had dinner and Dad reassured me that everything was okay at, at this time again. And I actually headed off to bed. So it kind of just seemed like, you know, something rather minor, nothing major, nothing to be concerned by. 
uh, and I didn't really think too much of it until I heard some noise in the kitchen a few hours later and some loud enough to, to sort of wake me up. And I went out to see what was going on and, and dad was in, in need of help. I could see he was on his knees. He was out of breath. Uh, by this stage, he was pale. He was actually making his way to get the phone. And so he was calling the emergency number, which in, in Australia is triple zero. And he, he had called them and they asked if there was anyone else that could help describe the situation uh, because he was so out of breath. And um, I remember taking the phone and explaining to the lady on the phone what was happening and, and sort of what had happened, I guess, in the lead up a few hours earlier, what, what had taken place. And they decided based on our location, because we were quite remote, we were a long way away from the nearest hospital, uh, at least at that stage anyway. And this is over 15 years ago now. And so they said, look, based on what you're describing, we feel like we need to send a helicopter and take your dad to the nearest hospital as fast as possible. And so they did. And they got there very quickly. And before I knew it, he was attached to oxygen. He was uh, having all his vital signs checked and scooped him up off the floor, put him on a stretcher, took him into the helicopter and I couldn't fit in the helicopter. So they said to me, there's a, an ambulance coming by road and you can trail in that to the hospital. And I sh probably should add, I've skipped over the fact that my dad was 41 at, at this time. So he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, old by any standard. And, and in fact, this was completely coming out of the blue. He was for all intents and purposes on the outside, a healthy young dad, you know, he had, he had two uh, young boys. He wasn't considerably overweight. Perhaps he was holding a little bit of ec extra body fat, but, yeah. but nothing, nothing crazy. He was uh, representative of a, a young Australian dad. He would exercise, you know, a few times throughout the week and try and keep active, but he was probably overworked and uh, trying to make ends meet. And so we, I trailed to the hospital. And by that time I called my, my mother and brother who were staying, we had two houses. So one that was in the country and one that was in the city and they were in the city. And so they drove to meet us and that that waiting period felt like a long time because we really didn't know what was happening and you know where firstly whether dad was going to survive and if he was you know what was his health going to look like going forward mm -hmm. and the the doctor came out to speak to us and you know very thankfully Western medicine saved his life. And if it wasn't for that helicopter and the immediate emergency care that he received, then that may not have been the case. Yeah. And he was having a heart attack and they were able to, to stabilize him and they were able to 
essentially ensure that that he was able to have a second chance at life, which is not the case for many people who are in that circumstance, uh, which I didn't know at the time, but I've since come to learn. Uh, and so at this this time, I think it was about a day later, the the doctor, the main doctor that was in charge of looking after my dad sat us down as a family and spoke to to us and particularly to my brother and I having taken dad's history and realizing that his dad had had also had a heart attack in fact multiple heart attacks wow. uh, albeit his were were when he was in his 60s or or older and he said to my brother and I that and and this is not bad advice in itself he said as we get older we should be be cautious and get screened and just be aware that that this disease runs in families and i say that that's not bad advice because it is true that they can they do run in families but the conversation kind of ended there and i wish that the conversation had have gone further uh in hindsight because for many years i was left feeling as though well you know all families have certain genetic faith and and mine is we have weak genes when it comes to our hearts and and if my dad had a heart attack at age 41 then and and for all intents and purposes he was living a typical australian lifestyle that i was also growing up living then why would my fate be any different yeah absolutely so my biological father had his first heart attack at 38 and i was 18 and my mom's dad died at 46 so i was also given a very similar <laughs> message granted i was a female which made it a little bit less uh tenuous but it it is all the more concerning you're just kind of like okay what do i do if this is the way it is right when you're a teenager that's just kind of what you take and that's when you're given that message so that is frightening is your brother older or younger he's older so he's two and a half nearly three years older gotcha so then how tell us a little bit did was that what prompted you maybe to go into kind of that field of health um, or what was that something else that led you down to become uh, the career choice that you chose? Well, my dad is a doctor and, mm. and for, you know, as long as I can remember coming home, I would just see study after study piled on the coffee table or in the <laughs> kitchen or in his car or overflowing out of his bag. Uh, he's been involved in the academic side of research, particularly looking at, uh, at arteries and uh, vasculature in general and, and diabetes. So I've been surrounded by research and science from as long as I can remember. And so going through high school, science was something that I was naturally drawn to. And I knew when I finished high school and, and went to university, I would do something in, in the field of science. And I actually, I did very well at, in high school, but not quite well enough to, to do medicine at University of Melbourne. Uh, and I was accepted into medicine in uh, Tasmania. Oh, wow. Which is, uh, it's, it's a beautiful, a beautiful state of Australia. But at the time, as an 18 year old in Melbourne, I was playing a lot of football. I had very, very close friendships 
and I wasn't willing to leave to leave Melbourne. Yeah. And so I opted to do physiotherapy in Melbourne, uh, which is still a very science-based uh, course. And so I did, I did four years of, of that and, and graduated, did, did an, a research-based honours there. And that was when I got a taste for research myself and conducting a study and um, you know, writing a thesis and, and whatnot. And uh, yeah, sort of off I went from there into uh, working as a clinician, uh, as a physiotherapist. And that's how I began my career. So the equivalent of a physiotherapist in Australia, is that the same as physical therapist or, or exercise therapy? And what would be the equivalent here in the US? Do you know? I think it probably it's, I'm not a hundred percent sure on the curriculum in the United States, but I believe it would be physical therapy. Gotcha. Uh, I know it's very similar to the course in the UK, the physiotherapy course there. It's a, it's a four year undergraduate course in Australia and, um, with a, with a focus, I mean, it has, it has all of the anatomy and physiology and all of that stuff. And then of course it has a focus on, uh, sports injuries and rehabilitation, which was the sort of interest that I took, but also every, you know, stroke rehabilitation and, you know, physiotherapist work in a number of different settings. Gotcha. Yeah. That would probably be very close to that then. Excellent. And then how did the conversation shift? What was the day that your brother said, by the way, this is what I'm doing. You should look into it. <laughs> yeah. So when I was in my mid twenties and thought I knew everything, even about food. You don't know everything in your mid twenties? <laughs> <laughs> Darn. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, it's mm -hmm. funny when you're, when you're, as you get older, you realize you don't know everything. But when my mid twenties, I probably thought I knew everything. And, <laughs> and, uh, my my knowledge about nutrition at that stage really was formed through the I was working with elite footballers in Australia and a lot of the nutrition information I was picking up was through football culture it was through gym culture it was through fitness culture sure. uh, and and I was very much influenced by that and so it wasn't that my my the choices I was making and the food I was putting on my plate was were supported by rigorous science not at that stage sure. and so my brother he was coming to stay with me for a week maybe two weeks and he was coming with his fiance and a little a little while before he came I think it was a couple of months the the first time he he gave me a heads up he he gave me a call and said Hey, uh, we've changed the way we're eating. I'm just letting you know for when we come up. Uh, and he was obviously figuring that I would uh, therefore shop a little differently and perhaps look at some different restaurants to go to when they came and visited. We were living in different states. And so uh, he said, we were, we're eating a, a pescatarian diet. And I've always been a very open person in terms of I'm willing to try new things. And, and if someone, you know, brings some form of information to me, I, I want to, I want to understand more about it. And, uh, you know, I approached that the same way. I said, that's, that's great. Uh, we can, we can eat fish and I'll find a few different restaurants. There's some Japanese restaurants that I know of. Uh, and, and it didn't seem too complicated to me, to be honest. Mm. And so 
uh, a week before he came up, he called me again hmm. and he said, I just want to let you know, uh, we've changed the way we're eating. Again. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Uh, and I initially thought he, he must've meant, well, I've reverted back uh. to, to eating, you know, all of the, the red meats and, and dairy and, and the eggs and all of that. And he said, well, we've removed the fish and <laughs> I can, I can remember this phone call because I was silent. I was left thinking, what on earth are we going to eat? And what on earth <laughs> is he going to eat for the rest of right. his life? <laughs> and, and so, and, and, and you have to remember that I was heavily conditioned by those environments that I had grown up in. I was, I was deep in those as deep as anyone could be in terms of protein obsession, uh, this fixation on animal protein and meat is muscle. And in many cases, uh, fearing carbohydrates, certain Mm. carbohydrates that I now understand are very healthful. And, and so this was a lot for me to hear from him. (laughs) <laughs> and to try and to try and make sense of my immediate response was what are you thinking and so i said to him i gave him the benefit of the doubt uh that he was doing the right thing and i said look well that's okay you're going to have to give me a, a little bit of a hand when we go shopping and perhaps you can pick some restaurants and I also already knew both he and his fiance, they love to cook. Mm. So I knew that it wasn't as if they were going to come up and just expect me to cook everything and, and look after everything. So I went along with it and they came up and we spent a week or so together. And my brother's not from a, a science background. So he mm. wasn't coming to to this armed with evidence and trying to convince me to change my diet or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that week, all I remember is just being left thinking, wow, that food tasted incredible. Mm-hmm. And, and it opened my eyes to the fact that there were many different foods, many different flavors that I was actually missing out on. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that I, I could eat more of that for sure. So I better, I better actually start to look at the science and, and think about, you know, whether or not my current diet is truly serving me. And in the back of my mind, the only thing my brother had said to me when I inquired about why he was changing the way that he was eating was that he had come across information that suggested reducing animal protein, eating more plant protein, more fiber, more diversity was a very, very good thing for heart health. And because he was recalling our earlier experience and having watched my dad's health deteriorate and he and his wife were thinking at that stage about having kids, they have since had kids now. So obviously he was thinking about himself in, in, in our dad's position. Uh-huh. So he was wanting to to make sure he was doing whatever he could not to end up in that same position. And so I thought, well, I better get stuck into the research and 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 I did and and 
in many ways, I wanted to prove him wrong. The easy thing for me, the, the easy thing for me was going to be to show him that he was wrong. I could keep eating the steak and all the chicken breast and, and the simple diet that I had, which probably had three vegetables at most, which was broccoli and sweet potato or potato uh, and, 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 and then meat. Uh, and so I started to go through the science and it was challenging me. It was mm. constantly challenging me until I, I really got to a, a point where I had to, to decide how important is my long-term health here? Mm. Am I going to, to stick my head in the sand and just pretend that I'm going to be young forever? And, or am I going to, am I going to shift my priorities here a little bit? Mm. And mm. it became, you know, overwhelmingly clear to me, not that a, a vegan or a completely plant exclusive diet was categorically the best, but what it became very clear to me was that the, the people who were living the healthiest for the longest had mm. different variations of a diet where all or most of calories were coming from whole plants. Mm -hmm. And this was, again, very far removed from the, the, the diet that I was consuming at that time. So it was challenging, but I realized, look, I, I need to value my long-term health more here. Mm. And the next piece of the puzzle was, well, I'm prepared to do that. I am prepared to value my long-term health more if I don't have to give up anything today. Mm. And, and what that meant for me was <laughs> I don't want to, none of us want to give up the joy for food, right? For sure. And, and we don't want to sacrifice flavor. Now I'd already ticked that box because I'd had that week with my brother. Mm. And so I knew <laughs> that, that, that this wasn't about eating rabbit food. So I knew that. <laughs> and and, and that was, that was, you know, very motivating for me. But the next thing I needed to know was, okay, well, I have these, these physical endeavors, these performance endeavors, mm -hmm. and I'm not prepared. And I write this in my book, science could say that if you eat only kale, you'll live to 140 years old. But <laughs> I wasn't prepared to do that because of course that would come at some expense with regards to your performance. So I needed to know that you could tap into these long-term health benefits. You could take control of, of your longer term disease risk and at the same time maintain or even better improve performance. Mm. And so, you know, I went down, I had all of those common questions that I, I believe most of us have uh, and particularly physically active males who, who require a lot of calories uh, tend to have even more of these questions around, around protein and around muscle and around endurance and recovery, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you know, I slowly had to work through all of that information. And once I had enough information to see that, it was absolutely possible. I realized, well, the next step is to start giving it a go myself and to feel the, the personal benefits. And how did those personal benefits uh, turn out? Yes. Yeah, so for me, 
the the transition was I guess relatively slow it didn't mm. feel slow but but now in hindsight and having the experience of speaking to so many people who go through this I realize that there are certainly people that transition faster mm-hmm. and and I think it comes down to your personality and oh, yeah. there are sure. some people there are some people who do amazingly well on an on an instant transition we did it overnight with three yeah. teenagers that was fun. there you go so, <laughs> so, it, so you you know that that can't be ignored there are people that that works and that's that's the best route for them sure and then um there are other people where making small incremental changes and building confidence is the better sort of path and mm-hmm. I, I think most people can work out based on their life experiences, which is going to be a better option for them. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was about doing it in stages and starting small. And so I was, you know, eating more legumes mm-hmm. and, and, and feeling good for it. <laughs> and, and I was cutting back down on the red meat. And some of the things that I was experiencing, I guess, in the short term was a feeling that my digestion was a little easier. Mm. I wasn't feeling so sluggish immediately after that meal. Mm. And, you know, I, I remember some of the the nights out and I still say this to my close friends. Uh, we'd have these big dinners with like 10 guys and in, in Melbourne. And, and usually it was at a, a steakhouse. And every single time when I'd finish that steak, I would, I would just feel a little sick in the stomach. Like it was so heavy and I'd feel like I needed to go to bed straight away. Uh, and so as I was re- cutting down on these, the animal protein and, and adding more legumes in, be it beans or chickpeas or uh, tofu or lentils, I was immediately noticing that. And I just continued to, to do that. That was the main thing I was focusing on was reduce animal protein, increase plant protein and, and add a little more color and diversity to my plate at the same time. I noticed initially, and this is something that I do speak about was that I actually lost a little bit of weight at the, at the start. And that wasn't a goal for me. In fact, Mm. that worried me. Uh, I think it's, I think it's, it speaks to the incredible advantage of a plant-based diet in a world where we live in an obesogenic environment and, and uh, we have, you know, and the excess of calories and these hyper palatable ultra processed foods, I think it's an enormous advantage. What had happened was I had removed a lot of very calorie dense foods and I just hadn't added enough volume to my plate to to be consuming the same amount of calories but I was quickly able to work that out and because my goal was not to lose weight I was able to work around that mm-hmm. and and that gave me confidence in in and of itself that hey I can actually tweak things here and and maintain my weight or or gain weight uh, if, if that was someone's goal for example someone wanting to to build muscle and, and increase strength and so this period of, of, of transitioning and making these changes to my plate, it was a meal by meal, week by week type play for me. I didn't put a whole lot of pressure on myself. I remember still eating out with friends at that stage and 
you know, sometimes at that stage, I'd choose the plant-based option while I was out and, and other times I wouldn't, depending on what was on the menu. But over a period of sort of six, maybe nine months, I had fully transitioned mm. and I'd built a lot of confidence with what I was doing. And, uh, you know, by that time I was only eating plants and it's been that way ever since. Awesome. That, that's a huge one. That's a, I went to plant-based diet, um, oh, about nine and a half years ago. And I was, uh, and I live in Colorado, so it's kind of like the wild west. <laughs> I can take a little bit of Texas and Western Colorado. I live on the East side now towards Denver, but, um, I just got out of the military, the air force, and we'd settled in rifle Colorado. And, um, I'd been there about a year and a half and I had a patient come in one day and say meat and dairy upset her stomach. I said, well, stop eating meat and dairy <laughs> knowing full well, there are plenty of other plants. Um, I grew up in a home that didn't have a lot of means. So we ate a lot of plants growing up. So I was kind of fortunate in that sense. So I knew she'd be fine. Um, and we lived in a place that didn't offer junk food, vegan restaurants at the time, definitely back then. And she came back in 30 days, but she brought her daughter with her, which is really interesting. Made her miss school. She was 16. Um, I thought, well, what did she do to have her mom pull her out of school to come to her own, her mother's appointment? She goes, now you tell Dr. Marbus what you did. And I was like, oh, what'd you do? <laughs> and she said, well, I went on this diet with my mom to support her. And I felt so good, Dr. Marbus. I stopped both my ADD meds. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, that's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. She goes, yeah. Her mom goes, why was she able to do that? Not in a manner of being angry, but in a sense of like, why didn't you tell me this? Or why didn't the doctor who started this meds on her years ago um, mention this? And it all, it was simple as changing her diet. So literally we just got into a deep conversation of what they ate and the light started slowly, a little dense sometimes. So the light came on and I immediately Googled you know, what was um, ADD and plants and China study came up and then mm. it just took me down the rabbit hole. And within two weeks, I had a lupus patient. We did another little experiment with, and I went home one night and said, family, this is what we're doing and threw it all out. And husband lost 70 pounds. My kids were 13, 15 and 18 at the time. So um, over a period of time, they chose, you know, at, at home we eat plants, but out going out, they ate what they wanted. But over time, they're all plant-based now and one's um, a doctor now. So, um, but yeah, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was quite a story. There's some fun stories in there in the mix of all that and the craziness. But there was, it's hard um, to come and know how to do this as a physician, especially back then. There wasn't a whole lot of resources. So I had some very, I was blessed with really nice patients who were very patient with me and ended up doing a lot of different things, a lot of right things, a lot of wrong things. They were very good to point those out to me. So I understand that transitional time, but it was, it's such a blessing, um, especially as you get older, <laughs> uh, at this age, especially you're just kind of like, so I'll be 51 in October. And I'm just sitting here going, what would a 51 been, you know, 10 years without this? Not that we were, I was overweight or had a lot of, health I can't issues, believe you're 50. You're nearly 51. I'll be 51. You look, and you look, you look <laughs> You, you legitimately look in your mid thirties. I blessed you. I'll pay you later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, my daughter is a 27. The kids are 27, Gosh. 25 and 23, almost 23. Yeah. But yeah, it was, um, but it is, you know, uh, um, it's been the, the truest blessing. And I, and that's why we launched plant-based health, my business partner and I and run all 50 States providing lifestyle medicine and been on it for about 16, 18 months now. And what an incredible thing we've grown from, 
just myself and Anthony, who was the business partner, who lost 160 pounds on a plant-based diet to eight doctors now, including Dr. Clapper. And it just keeps growing. So it's been a lot of fun to be able to offer this to everyone in the United States. We do have some international patients, but um, mostly in the United States. But that's just, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing to be able to now to share the ripple effects of like your work um, on a broad scale. I mean, so what was the impetus for starting the podcast and, and going from there? Well, I was getting asked a lot of the same questions. <laughs> and, I know that feeling. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, initially it was close circle of friends and then it was uh, people within the, the fitness industry, gym, football, coming to me who had heard what I was doing, but I wasn't being very public about my transition or the way I was eating. It was more other people talking and, <laughs> and, and saying, go and speak to, to Simon about this. And uh, so I realized I, I needed to centralize some, some information, which was the initial, I guess, inspiration for using social media. I hadn't been a big social media user before that. Uh, and so that was a learning curve. Uh, <laughs> the podcast though was, about learning both myself and the guests what a great opportunity to sit down with people from different walks of life with okay. different experiences who have uh, either been in in the lab conducting science or treating patients and okay. seeing how this plays out in the day-to-day -day. so getting different perspectives on health and trying to explore some of the nuance that exists. And uh, I think a big thing for me was frustration with headlines mm. and realizing how easy it is for people to, to be confused. And I realized that at least for the people that, that the small amount of people in the world that I would reach a big thing that is important for me is to give them information. So they are sort of immunized against that misinformation mm -hmm. and they just feel more confident in the chat right. in the in the changes that they're making and, and the next time the 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 news headline changes they don't feel derailed like they have mm -hmm. to give up on on everything and so i think podcast allows in this longer format allows us to discuss some of that nuance it's mm -hmm. not all completely black or white and unfortunately when everything's made black or white we end up with you know headlines that that can flip and change mm. and very confusing so that was that was the inspiration behind that and then um you know over time i realized that i should probably try and put this down into a to a book and maybe that will be something that people want to read absolutely that sounds like they are so tell us a little bit about the book and it's a great book guys by the way you should definitely get it in the united states it'll be available november 1st that you had mentioned but i got the kindle version so it's certainly um easy to get from that standpoint but can you show our book depository i guess would be the other one if you want to get a physical book here in the u.s but as far as tell us about the book and what that experience is like and going from there yeah so the book uh i spent three years in the actual writing process, I did that with Penguin, who were an enormous help in, in helping me shape it and pull it together. It mm. essentially has three parts. The first part is what I called diet of confusion, which is <laughs> why the confusion exists and what are the sources of that confusion. And if we look at a, a sort of typical 
diet. It's it's very low in fiber. It's high in ultra processed foods, and around seventy to eighty five percent of protein in the typical diet is coming from animal protein. And so, what I'm encouraging people to do is, you know, based on the science, it's very obvious we need to flip that on its head as best as possible. And we need to be getting all or most of our protein from plants. We want to be reducing our consumption of ultra processed foods and we want to be consuming a diet that's rich in fiber. And when we're doing that, we are adopting this, this theme of eating, which is time and time again, shown to produce great health today, but also great health for longer. And the so diet of confusion is looking at the food industry and how is our food environment shaped that is 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 leading us to this current diet that is failing us mm-hmm. and and is so uh, detrimental to our health and and when we understand what those sources are we can then better navigate the the food environment mm-hmm. and then the second part of the book is is looking more at the the more common diseases, chronic diseases that we're faced with, uh, and also longevity, what science exists that is looking at food choices and, and how long we live. And then part three of the book is more of the practical information. So, okay, you're wanting to add more plants to your plate. What information do you need to do that in a way where it is adequately planned? You're getting all of the nutrition you need. So your your uh, focus of focus, nutrients of focus uh, are covered. You're protecting your long-term health. You're feeling great and you're feeling confident. And so that's the three parts of of the book. And uh, yeah, so far I've I've been getting some nice messages. So uh i i believe it's it's sort of landing well with people absolutely very well and so if you have someone come to you who's a newcomer um what is the typical advice that you give to them besides read the book (laughs) um what would be something that you would recommend as far as getting started and when you said well-planned looking at the nutrients of concern um what does that mean exactly yeah so in the book i called them nutrients of focus uh, I thought it was. A, I, th- I thought it was a slightly more positive spin yes. on nutrients of concern. <laughs> Fair but, enough. <laughs> uh, you're right. Nutrients of concern is the common way to describe those. Uh, I think it it really depends on where that person's coming from. Mm. And so, if if there's someone that is coming to me and they're like, "Look, what's the first step? Like, what's what what's the the next step that I should take?" And they're literally adopting an ultra processed standard American diet, as I said before, that is rich in animal protein. I want them to focus on more on what they're adding. And, and so I will talk to them about the fact that science shows fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds. These are health promoting foods we want to be consuming more of. I want more of those in your diet. And so it will be focusing more on what they're adding, knowing that as they adding those foods, which are very satiating, they will naturally crowd out the ultra processed foods and hopefully some of that animal protein. And depending on where that person is, it may just be focusing on one meal. It could be, look, working out what they have for breakfast and saying, I, I think a good starting point for you is making sure you're having 
two pieces of fruit every breakfast mm-hmm. and 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 this is you know if you read any of the habit books in terms of forming new habits uh it is it is advantageous to start small and build mm-hmm. incrementally from there so uh that's one thing i would discuss the other would be simple swaps because there are some simple swaps that people can make that that really reduce that sense of being overwhelmed mm-hmm. and so it might be that I know I had a friend the other day, he called me and he said that, and this is after many years of him listening to my podcast and, and never, <laughs> never changing anything in his diet. He said, after, <laughs> after listening to over a hundred episodes and, <laughs> and, uh, just having, <laughs> and having gifted, gifted him a book, he said, just tell me one thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and he eats a lot of red meat. Mm. He eats, he eats red meat probably four to five times a week. Wow. I said to him, I said, okay, one thing to do is your, your red meat consumption needs to go down. Ideally. I said to him, no more than twice a week, red meat. And on all those other nights where you have red meat, you're going to choose a legume to replace Uh it. Lentils, Uh chickpeas, black beans, tofu, tempeh, whatever it is, that's what you're going to do. And so he has started on that path wow. and, and that's, has been a, a, a simple thing for him to focus on one thing, one, one swap. And all he has to do is think about, okay, it's Tuesday night. Normally I'd have red meat. Okay. Tonight I'm going to do lentils instead. And, and where possible, I've told him to not super complicate things with big fancy recipes because he's a time poor guy. Uh, you know, his spaghetti bolognese, I said, just keep the recipe essentially the same. We're just going to add lentils. I'll, I'll show you how to cook them. Or you can buy the canned ones and they're already, they're already soaked and cooked. You just have to heat them up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could spice them if you want to, to make them <laughs> add a bit of flavor. Uh, and, and then that's a nice, easy way for him to, to get these foods into his diet without feeling overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on that note, I guess seasoning and spices is something that I also talk to people about. Mm-hmm. We, we, depending on how we've grown up, I know for me personally, the animal protein was the hero of the plate and the, the vegetables was very much an afterthought. Mm-hmm. And as a result, those vegetables didn't taste great. <laughs> and so they were always the last thing that I ate if I ate them at all. And <laughs> And just explaining this idea to people that you know, herbs and spices and condiments, these, these bring a lot of flavor to our meals. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if someone, you know, eats chicken, usually they marinate that chicken. They do something with that chicken to bring flavor, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, if you're cooking with tofu for the first time, something I often hear is, Tofu is very bland, and, <laughs> and and look if, if, if the first time you have tofu is straight out of the packet and you and you haven't cooked it in any spices or, or herbs or turmeric or uh, paprika or cumin or things like that, then or onion and garlic at least, then yes, it, it it can taste a little like nothing. But in fact, the fact that tofu tastes like nothing and is a bit of a sponge is actually really advantageous. Uh-huh. Uh, 
So to summarize that, starting small, it might be focusing on one meal a day for someone. It could be focusing on just a, a simple swap throughout the week, like red meat for uh, lentils, for example, and then remembering spices and seasonings so that when you're adding these new foods in, they still taste great. I remember so um, when I first switched this over, the kids, you know, I, I went to medical school. My kids were, I started, I, we got married out of college. I stayed home for six years, had three kids under four. And then I started medical school when they were five, three and 10 months. My daughter and I started medical school in kindergarten the same day. And um, so I was always short on time. I was active duty military after that. So I was like, listen, you guys are going to eat what I cook or you'll eat the next meal. You'll be fine. <laughs> that's how I was raised. And that's it worked out okay. But when we got started switching over, I always gave them the opportunity to give me thumbs up or thumbs down. And it was really funny because they rejoice in the fact that they could just like kind of stick it to me like mom this was not good so I just took it upon <laughs> myself I was like oh you know what but there's gonna be a meal here that is so good you can't give me a thumbs down you'll at least give me a thumbs whatever you know and so it was I took that as a challenge and it really became quite a spectacle <laughs> so but tofu was one of those things once I figured out it was just a conduit of taste really it was the spices that really lent to the the fun of the meal um and we made some good friends with a good chef that lived in aspen colorado and my husband ate his meal and he goes oh i can do this the rest of my life and i was like okay i can cook like this i can i can and um but you're right that just the just finding the joy of cooking and making sure we raise our kids like this and we you know they have cooking skills you know, at least the basics like boiling water and putting some lentils in a pot <laughs> you know those things are super helpful with instapots now but um that's amazing. Um, so that I, I understand where we are in the United States. I, I know where we are with our plant-based culture and movement. How is it in Australia? How do you feel like comparatively is, is it stagnant? Is it growing? What do you see changing there? I think the interest is certainly growing. Uh, I'm also very conscious that there are pockets and bubbles. Mm. And and so a bit like America, there's LA and uh, New York and various cities more than that. But there are various cities in America that are, I guess, more progressive mm -hmm. in terms of uh, adopting more plant-based approaches. Uh, so in Australia, there are certainly pockets. There are cities where you're seeing you know many more plant-based restaurants. We're also seeing uh, a real um, increase in, in plant-based, I guess, alternative products, some mm. good, some bad, uh, I have mixed feelings on some of those, but I think overall they are making it much easier. So I, I lean more on the side that by and large, most of them are doing, are, are adding value, uh, particularly like plant-based milks in Australia that are now getting much better at fortifying with calcium and vitamin D and vitamin B12, which I think is is really important, mm -hmm. uh, and and I think just in general general conversation, I think people are uh, at least in my circles are really beginning to understand the the benefits that are up for grabs and the power of eating more whole plants, uh, but equally that it can taste great. I think that's a big thing that's mm -hmm. changing. Is this you know we've been told to eat more fruits and vegetables for a long time. 
Mm-hmm. But it's, it has sounded rather boring. And I think where where we're making some inroads is people understanding that it doesn't have to be boring. And, you you know, you can jump on social media now and see all these incredible plant-based recipes. Oh, my and goodness. It's, it's so obvious that, <laughs> hey, you can do this and you don't have to give up anything. And mm-hmm. so I think that that is a big sort of, you know, the pennies dropping there. Mm. Uh and that just makes it so much more attractive for people to 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 give it a go. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you spoke of, and that's just honestly, that's building habits. I got um, BJ Fogg, who wrote Tiny Habits, on the podcast because I started my podcast in 2016 um, because honestly, I wanted just to send patients. So I was like, okay, here's this story. So if I interviewed them, I could just send you listen to this one; it'll inspire you, you know. But then it just got to be actually kind of a selfish endeavor to meet awesome people such as yourself. <laughs> and I was like, now I just enjoy talking to people. But yeah. um, but the the tiny habit component of that is so important, right? Is just understanding that if you can just make one dish taste delicious, you can grow on that. But the mm-hmm. the Google thing, I go this I tell my patients, they're like, well, what should I eat? I was like, so let me tell you what you're gonna do. <laughs> you type in whatever you have in the fridge, whatever you're hungry for, and then you say plant-based, whatever. And you go through Google pops up all these recipes. I pick the ones that have all five star ratings that I've yet to be let down. <laughs> and so simple as that. And so um, the internet's an amazing, incredible tool. <laughs> yeah, I love him. I've got his book here actually up on the up on the shelf. Yeah, uh, great book for anyone that that wants to oh. learn more about building habits. And and I think as well, one of the big things he talks about is effort. If you're building something in a new habit you you don't want it to require too much effort it should be mm-hmm. nice and, and simple um which again speaks to what we're we're saying about starting small and getting some of those easy wins on board yes and you know because one of the main thing too as a physician i'm just a family medicine physician and when you start looking at how can i convince someone to go on a plant-based diet i had to think differently um I feel like I'm a salesman. Like I have to be a better salesman than the McDonald's down the street or the Burger King or, you know, whatever is the cheap meal at the, the current restaurant. But that, that the tiny habits, I took actually his boot camp, And so I got to spend four weeks with him um, as I'm trying to absorb as much as possible become, I feel like I need to be the, the starting point for someone. I can hold their hand along the way, but they got to do it. But I also have to give them the tools. And so that's really important that I feel adequate to do that. And I learned so much. It was such a, it was only 12 of us for four hours every Friday for an entire month last summer. And what a blessing that was. It was such an incredible learning experience. But yes, and there's so much. I draw out his, the fog model. <laughs> I describe it to patients. I'm doing telemedicine. I'm like, look at this. This is where you are. This is your action line. And they really is like an aha moment when people understand they're not a victim of their current circumstances. They can actually change their habits. And it's actually not as difficult as we make it out to be. Sometimes it is, but not always. But that's fine. That's right. And once yeah. it becomes you know, once these things become, I guess, second nature, mm. a bit like when you get in your car and you put your seatbelt on. Right. right. You, it, it, the, the nice thing is once they become habits and, and it is second nature, it requires very little sort of energy from our brain. And it's, it frees, it frees up, it frees us up to think about other things. So something else I try and explain to people is, you know, early on, it can seem like you have to focus on quite a bit. Let's mm-hmm. simplify that. So you're only focusing on little things, but trust me, as you build more confidence and these, these move from very conscious actions to unconscious, mm-hmm. then 
you know, just like you would eat now and how I eat now, uh, it's, it's not, it's not something that we're, uh, you know, using a, an incredible amount of brain power on every day. No, honestly, it's, it's funny. I've, uh, I did a mission trip to Africa for two weeks in rural Africa, ate this way. Um, I've been all over the country eating this way. And, you know, I have patients who've traveled to all interesting places in the world and eat this way. So it can be done. It's just a matter of planning, but you're exactly right. Honestly, I can't remember. I know I, I ate differently, but now it's like, I don't remember wanting to eat that way. Now I just like, now this is all I want. Cause I feel so good. I I'm exercise. I run, I'm an active mom. Oh, out of the house now but you know those type of things are um it, it's just such a joy to be this way now i can't imagine not being this way um so i get it it's a wonderful thing so i know some we're coming up on our hour mark i really appreciate all your time is there any last bit of advice you'd like to share with our audience or anything you'd like any messaging or anything like that you'd like to share and where they can find you also on uh, social media I think if someone's listening and perhaps they're in their 20s or 30s, sometimes this information, it, it can be hard to, to connect with and feel a strong enough why or reason to change your diet. Unless, of course, you have experienced poor health yourself or like me, seen someone in your family experience poor health. Mm -hmm. But there, in my experience in speaking with people, who are 20s or 30s or even younger who don't have that that sort of compelling reason it can be a little more challenging to want to prioritize long-term health mm -hmm. and and you know that comes back to this whole idea of instant gratification versus delayed gratification and how do we get people to care more about something in the in the long term and and two things I, I would want to leave people with there is one, I hope that we've made it clear in this conversation that prioritizing your health long-term does not mean you have to give up the joy and love for food today. You can absolutely maintain that. In fact, you can have more of it. I'm sure. Oh, yes. And the second is don't wait for pain. Mm. Don't wait for pain to make these changes uh, because by then it, it, it may well be too late. And if we just continue to live our lifestyle, that's the same as all everyone around us and are ingesting the same food for breakfast, for lunch and for dinner, the same snacks, how can we expect a different result? Mm -hmm. We can't. We could pray that we are an outlier and we're the 97 year old grandmother who smoked and had a horrible diet and, and lived until 97. Mm -hmm. And while that's possible, it's not probable. Mm -hmm. So my main message is just for people to, to understand that we have so much more power than we're often led to believe. And, and, and hopefully you can start today, start making small changes and, and I'm sure you'll never look back. Absolutely. And, you know, I would say to that as well is that honestly, the patients that I see, you know, I have patients as young as four or five type one diabetics too. I mean, I've had over a hundred patients, you know, but when they're, they don't understand what normal is. I feel like normal is we've forgotten what it's like to be a healthy, normal human being without chronic disease. And I was like, chronic disease is actually not normal guys. <laughs> this is, and so when they get a touch of it by feeding their body, well, resting, exercise, all these incredible things, and there's simple changes. It's like, 
they're like, this is what it's like to be normal and feel well. I was like, yes. <laughs> so that, that joy is so, um, just swells up and it's amazing. So you're exactly right. And um, as far as social media, where can people find you? So I am on Instagram and Twitter at plant underscore proof. That's probably the best place to find me. Awesome. And everyone check out the book. Um, the proof is in the plants. It's absolutely exactly right. Everything that you read, uh, read there will be amazing and phenomenal. You did a wonderful job. So thank you for putting that out there for people as a resource. And um, we thank you for your work on your podcast and being such a delight to speak to. And um, this was a, a real joy. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me. And I'd love to have you on my show sometime soon too. Oh, that would be an honor. I, you, uh, thank you very, I would love that. Thanks for watching. And I hope you enjoyed that video before you go though, please hit the subscribe button and the alert button. So you will be notified whenever we upload any new videos on Monday, we upload the healthy human revolution podcast. Now, if you'd rather listen to the podcast, you can find it on all the major platforms such as iTunes, Google play, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. On Tuesdays, we upload the doctors in. This is where I answer your questions. Thinking of that, could you please comment below any questions you might have about health or wellness or any topics that you would like me to cover? Now, if you're looking for more resources on how to start a plant-based diet, sustain a plant-based diet, exercise, recipes, anything regarding wellness, we've got you covered. Check out healthyhumanrevolution.com. And again, thanks for watching.